Welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. I'm Michael Chenitz, and this is actually a special edition at KubeCon. I keep forgetting to mention that in all the previous videos, but this is a special edition at KubeCon. We are recording live from KubeCon, and I have Dion. Dan. Dion. I, I still messed it up, no matter what, and I tell everybody this. I'm so bad at, like, any kind of names. Forget it. That's, that's it. So, yes, but from CERN, which is one of my favorite institutes because I am a science nut. And that is just, you know, the fact that you work there, I just, I, that's amazing to me. Thank um, you. <laughs> so, you know, the, the way that this came about is I reached out to you because I saw you doing some really cool things at CERN. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of have a conversation of like, what goes on and how did this come about? How do you even start working at CERN? Like, well, there, there are different ways to get to CERN. CERN has different uh, open positions. So there are positions for students, there are positions for junior engineers, then there are for staff and more senior engineers. And I came as a student, and okay. then I got another position as a junior software developer. So then yeah, I just continued my, my uh, stay at CERN. So basically just through an online application, and then everything started. So wait a minute. Yeah. I could work at CERN if I wanted to? Yes, if you're qualified, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a big if there, so we'll see. But. No, no, no. <laughs> if, depends if there, there are projects uh, that match your skill. That yeah, yeah. match your skills. That, that's a big if as well. That's so cool. it's not only if you have enough skills, but if, it, if your skills can be applied in a, in a specific place and at a specific time. So yeah. for example, for my current position, I was very lucky to... Uh, have experience with machine learning and with containers before yeah. I applied. Yeah. And at that time when I applied, there was a position that required machine learning and containers knowledge. So it was just... That was a perfect fit. Exactly. <laughs> sometimes it's just good timing and sometimes it's bad timing. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, so what came first? Was it the machine learning or, or was it containers? What, what did you start, start out doing? Uh, I did containers initially. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, that was a task at work when, back when I had an internship in the US. So I got to learn Docker. Yeah. Uh, and machine learning I did on my own time because I was curious and interested and I really loved the, the prospect of it, the, the idea. So I did some um, projects on my own and then had an internship at CERN that uh, was basically training a lot of models in uh, particle reconstruction uh, where I got to like practice the, the machine learning you know, in a professional environment. You make it sound so easy. I just, you know, I just created some models and, you know, and this is... This is just like, it's like anybody can do it, you know, and that's what it makes it sound like. But it's really, you know, there's a lot that goes in. I mean, the training is the most, you know, one of the most important things yes. that occurs. So, so what, did you, um, what did you have to do? Like, what, what did you have to start to learn to understand how to train those? Well, basically the, the theory of machine learning. Yeah. And then uh, go through some um, courses on Python, uh, on um, TensorFlow, PyTorch, just to understand the machine learning frameworks and how you can put that knowledge into practice and how you can actually train the neural networks. Uh, because with so many different frameworks nowadays, it's not that difficult to, to create a neural network and to actually train it. And you don't have to be an expert in even mathematics to, to be able to run um, basic neural networks. Yeah, and that's the thing for me is, you know, that's what scares me away because I'm super good at computers and, and, and anything that's cloud and anything that's, you know, at least I consider myself. Maybe people don't consider me good at it. I think I'm good at it. And, um, you know, but when it comes to math, that's where I fall down. Is, is so, so I'm always concerned that math is, is what's going to 
So that, that's the reason why I moved to machine learning infrastructure. <laughs> that's why I moved away from the research. Yeah, the, the math is really uh, yeah. uh, complex and difficult, and yeah. uh, the research has really gone far that uh, you really have to be very good at it to yeah. be able to uh, improve the existing models. Uh, but luckily, there are many different ways to work in AI without actually developing the, the models. Uh, there are still big challenges in AI infrastructure, uh, such as uh, training the models, scaling the model training, supporting multiple users. And this is what I currently work on at, at CERN. But you guys didn't just work on it. I mean, you guys now created your own kind of platform, uh, right? We are using the open source platform, the existing okay. one. It's called Kubeflow. Yeah. Uh, it originated by Google uh, in 2018, I think. Maybe it was even before. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, it's um, it's an open source platform yeah. that basically you can just uh, take the code from GitHub and deploy it to your own servers. Uh, and you can deploy it to GCP, to Azure, to AWS, or you can do it on your private cloud as well. So what we do, we have a private cloud. We have an OpenStack that's supporting that, that cloud. And we just create a bunch of virtual machines uh, that serve as Kubernetes nodes. And then we deploy our Kubeflow application on top of that. And then we support the users through the UI and make sure everything works uh, as expected. So um, in terms of the, the amount of users, I'm sure there's a ton of users on that platform now. Actually, it de depends um, uh, how many GPUs we have. It, yeah. In the end of the day, it scales according to the number of GPUs because uh, we can have the best platform in the world. If we don't have GPUs, nobody's going to train the models on the CPUs. Yeah. So... Um, uh, in that regard, yeah, we, we scale according to the number of our GPUs, according to our resources, but it's, it's been very well accepted at CERN. And uh, it's a new technology, and it allows to go beyond the training uh, models on your local GPU, uh, which is a current major challenge, I would say, at CERN in, in terms of infrastructure. So this platform allows you to train models on multiple GPUs to get them on demand and to uh, basically release a GPU once your training job is complete. Uh, compared to, for example, if you take a Jupyter notebook and you take a GPU, then it's there until your notebook is there. Yeah. So uh, this platform really helps with scalability. And in addition to being able to scale our workloads on our uh, private cloud on our on-premise cluster. We can also scale to public cloud as well. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that, that's quite amazing. Uh, we do um, GitOps with Argo CD, for example. Uh, basically, the entire installation of our Kubeflow instance is uh, in our GitLab repo. So we just deploy that, uh, that installation to different cloud providers, depending whether we have resources on these, these providers. And can you split the tasks between on-prem and in the cloud and, and do things like that? Uh, we haven't tried that yet, <laughs> no, no. But I think it would be possible. It should be possible. That yeah. would be pretty cool, yeah, just to be able to scale. And to be able to auto-scale those tasks would be pretty exactly. neat, too, by like deciding, you know, hey, we, we, need, we need to be more cost-efficient and we, we, you know, maybe this is a low-priority type thing that we can yes. do on-prem or something that needs to be, you know scaled to the cloud and take up more just because we need this information faster and we yes. need it to... Yeah, yeah. That, that's the idea. We'll try to do that. We'll see how our workloads scale. But, yeah, that, that's the idea. So in terms of implementing this, have you guys created – it sounds like you, with GitOps, you've kind of created your own platform to, to, to implement this and kind of scale it out, distribute it? Um, 
In terms of GitOps, uh, we are using the existing Argo CD. Oh, you are? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's again an open source yeah, project. Yeah. Sure. And um, we just leverage that to to distribute our workloads. So we did not implement it ourselves. Yeah, we yeah. are basically end users of, of these technologies. Cool. Uh, but for the Kubeflow itself, uh, we are using this open source uh, uh, manifests to deploy it, to install it, but we have to do a lot of customizations. And that's, that's the main part of work because uh, in theory it should work, but in practice there are so many customizations that, that we have to do. And uh, uh, there's like... Um, uh, file with a list of uh, all components that we deploy um, by default and then there's a separate folder structure with our customizations and uh, like one by one um, uh, the items on this list I just comment it out <laughs> and just move <laughs> it to this folder structure where I do the um, customizations uh, so it's, it's a lot of work there but it's still doable and it's maintainable and uh, it's deployable and it, it runs in production which is quite amazing for us so, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, is there ways to automate that, that, that in terms of, you know, maybe through cross-plane or through Terraform or through something that will, you know, just pick those values for you so you don't have to do it every time? Or is there something different that's, every time? That's a good question, <laughs> yeah. That, with the upgrades, we have to always do different customizations because there gotcha. were components that worked in this uh, version. Then in the next version, they don't work, and then we have to... <laughs> Always, always be careful. So the joys of open source. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that tends to happen. I mean, and, and you know, it's funny as I, I mean, I can relate because I, you know, anytime I install something that's open source, you know, it, typically you get it working a certain way. Something gets changed, and then you have to like re-implement that. And usually, the config file is in YAML or something else, and you have to, um, you know whatever setting has changed, you know, you're trying to, it's almost trial and error to figure out some of those settings, yes. you know, especially the tweaks to CPU and hardware and, and you know, and exactly. how many threads and, you know, all the kinds of tuning and things like that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and that's the most important, I would think, for, for what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, many things can go wrong. But, yeah, we're getting better at debugging and understanding what, what can go wrong, so... Yeah. And, and how big is the group of people that you guys that are... It's that are uh, me and my uh, supervisor, Ricardo. <laughs> so yeah, it's Ricardo. Us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's not full-time on this project, so yeah. And in terms of... So this is... as You're using Kubeflow, so it's all on Kubernetes. And um, it's... it's uh, You said it's it's mostly... It's a mostly on-prem. You're kind of messing around with, with the uh, cloud provider. Um are there a lot of Kubernetes-type tweaks that you have to make to, to make this run, you know, in Kubernetes per se? You know? Yes, 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 exactly, yes. Uh, for example, um, uh, we introduced uh, resource quotas in our latest uh, release. So yeah. we are, uh, for every profile, we are giving us a default resource quota. And, uh, for example, we don't, uh, we will try not to have any GPUs in the d default quota, and then we will negotiate with users availability of, of GPUs. For every for every user, uh, then we will give some uh, quota on memory and on CPUs, and then this is automatically managed. So that's quite amazing about Kubernetes that there yeah. are so many little things that can make your life so much easier. Yeah, we actually have uh, we actually just bought a company called Absani that uh, that does like it'll look at your Kubernetes application and and adjust it so that all those values figure out what those values are optimal for you. But I would imagine something like machine learning that wouldn't be wouldn't be beneficial because you're always changing 
what it's going to do. So yes. you can't really optimize for it because it's going to change all exactly. the time. Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's why we we have to monitor the the instance all the time, and we are in close contact with our users. We have a, a channel of communication where they can write, and then they can ask questions, and we help them out. And as you said, like things are changing constantly, and we have to be careful all the time. Do you guys have like a dashboard that you can see how things are running, or or see if something's like you know using not enough GPUs or give it more, allocate things? Well, or? we do some monitoring with Grafana, yes. You're with Grafana? Yes. Yeah, yes. that's cool. And you guys, obviously, Grafana, you can set up any way you want. So yes, you, you yeah, just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. What kind of things are they doing? What kind of things are you running on, on these kind of AI stacks? Or can you talk about that? Yes, that's, of course, yeah. yeah that's, that's the topic of our talk uh, <laughs> tomorrow. So that will be interesting. Yeah. Um, th there's a, there are, there's a wide range of uh, applications of machine learning at CERN. Uh, because the, the LHC, the, the Large Hadron Collider, it's, yeah. it's colliding the, the beams of protons, and then these collisions produce a lot of data. And we're talking about 40 million collisions per second. Wow. And then that translates to around 90 petabytes of data per year by all experiments. So that's a lot. So that itself gives you a lot of potential for application of machine learning in different stages and uh, obtaining, um, obtaining uh, some results in, in different ways. So we can apply machine learning in data acquisition, like while we um, propagate these events from the detectors to the storage system, or mm -hmm. we can apply it in the offline analysis to actually sure. get some physics results. Uh, so one example that is currently being heavily researched at CERN is uh, the application of machine learning in the trigger systems. And the trigger systems are basically making a selection for every, uh, each and every of those 40 million collisions they're deciding whether to store this particular event, this particular collision, or to throw it away. Because there's no computing infrastructure that can support 40 million collisions per second. So you have to make a decision to, uh, to select events which you think are interesting in terms of physics. So you have to go to around 1,000 events that you consider interesting. So these trigger systems, they already use some boosted decision trees, for example, uh, in, in machine learning, but now it, there's a research to apply deep learning methods that early in the trigger and to make a good selection of, of events. Uh, and now there are major challenges. First uh, one being training the models to have good performance. And the second, deploying these models to the FPGAs and having a fast inference. So yeah, th that's one, one example. Uh, another example is in simulations. Uh, Traditionally, we're using some uh, Monte Carlo simulations that, that take a lot of time, that are state of the art in terms of physics, but take a lot of time. Uh, and uh, there are alternatives like 3D guns that are being researched as a faster way to do these simulations. Um, and then the, these models are very computationally uh, intensive to, to train. So those are some, some examples of machine learning. And also uh, the facilities themselves, such as the LHC, the experiments, the cloud infrastructure, that pro produces a lot of data. So we use machine learning to do some anomaly de detection, to pro proactively monitor the systems and uh, make sure everything is in peak performance. So yeah, a couple, there's so many questions I have from all this that you just said. <laughs> One is, you know, I, I've played around with FPGAs. I know that they take a bit of time to program, usually when you're programming them. Yes. So um, how many FPGAs are we talking about to program? Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know the, the number of the FPGAs. But it's a lot or like a few? 
I think it's <laughs> honestly I wouldn't know the, the exact yeah. number. Uh, <laughs> I would say a lot, but yeah. um, now that that's an interesting topic because now. <laughs> To program these FPGAs, yeah. uh, the idea is that you don't program the neural network in VHDL or Verilog or something yeah, like yeah. that, uh, but rather to use uh, compilers that take your Python developed model and then just compile it for the FPGA, yeah. and then that runs for, for inference. So there is even a certain um, in-house uh, compiler, it's called HLS for ML, which basically you train your model, you push it through this compiler, and then you can run it on the FPGA to get your fast inference. Wow. And the other thing I, I was thinking about is how much data do you actually, I mean, how, you can't just put it on a USB drive. So what do you do with that data after you have all that data and then you want to run something else? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, you mean where the data is stored? Yeah, or where it's stored. I think in the end it goes to tapes. Uh, to it's tapes. To st store it for long-term storage. Because, yeah, I mean, because you're saying it's petabytes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yes. each is, so... Potentially, each thing you run is going to be petabytes. So you're running a lot of data. Yes, yeah. For, for yeah, initially, uh, people first uh, validate with some subsets of, of data sets. But yeah, for some bad jobs, uh, probably it's like uh, yeah, hundreds of uh, gigabytes to to train some models. Yeah. Wow. So we are yeah we are working towards um, being able to support that kind of use cases with our with our platform. Um, we at the moment don't have GPUs to, to be able to, to run that kind of workloads, but at some point we had access to 128 GPUs on uh, GCP, and we were able to run uh, our analysis on that many GPUs, so that was amazing. And it literally scaled um, um, in a linear way. Uh, so we got from training a, a model, uh, one epoch for one hour with one GPU, to uh, training it for 30 seconds with uh, 128 GPUs. <laughs> It sounds like you guys need like a uh, a sponsorship from Nvidia or something like that. You know, that would be nice. Yes. <laughs> Maybe Nvidia, if you're listening, you guys should really sponsor CERN. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's 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 amazing. So the only other question I was thinking about is, what makes something? And this is totally not related to cloud or anything, but just my interest here. What makes something good or bad when you're actually you know looking at those at those triggers? You know, once you once you trigger something. You, you said you're going to throw something away. Yeah. Like, what is it? Is it like it has to be within a certain range, or it has to be in a? Honestly, I, I would love to be able to answer <laughs> that question, but honestly, I don't know. That would be That's something fine. that physicists would probably be able yeah. to. Yeah. No, I'm just. I'm, answer, I'm, yeah. I'm really curious about that, but but you know, I would think that you know, just thinking about the nature of data that they're looking at certain ranges and seeing if something. But then you come into well, uh, you know. If you're throwing away some data, then is some data, you know, really important that you threw away? You exactly. Know? So. Yes. Yes. That, that's a question that that's yeah. also being researched, and like whether these trigger systems are actually doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. So in terms of you know, I, we talked a little bit about AIML. We talked about Kubernetes. How do you you know you, you said you use GitOps? Is is it a big distributed system? You know, is it? Do you have lots of distributed systems that you're using in order to get that you're running all these things on locally? Actually, for our system, it's uh, basically a cluster provided by OpenStack. Cool. So a couple of virtual machines that serve yeah. as nodes, and uh, we just deploy our um, our Kubeflow instance there. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I don't. It's not distributed in the sense that uh, we run on different regions. In, yeah. Uh, uh, in Europe or something like that, everything is like 
like the servers are in Switzerland in CERN. That's so cool. Yeah. So, so what's what you know? What's your favorite part of working at CERN? <laughs> uh, there are multiple things that are quite amazing. Um, working at CERN, for example, uh, this fact that you work in a research organization that does this fundamental research for humanity and that hopefully will get us closer to understanding. Uh, the, the origins of the universe and how the particles interact and uh, being able to, to know all that, it's quite amazing. So th there's never a question of uh, purpose yeah. in, in work. So yeah. that, that's quite amazing. And also the people you meet, the conversations you have, the technology you work on, it's, it's amazing. And like even these opportunities that we have to, to come to KubeCon, to present, to do a podcast, it's, it's amazing. So... Um, those are my, my favorite things, I would say, but there are many, many more. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely sure. I mean, I've mentioned to you how I, 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 I want to go to CERN so bad. Like, it's, you it's should just, come, yeah. Just to see, see what that's, it's, it has to be amazing to be there and just to be able to see that collider and, and everything. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, at the moment, the, the, uh, the, their test beams and the LHC will run again uh, full steam soon. Uh, so that means there will be no visits to underground for, for a while, but then there will be a shutdown, and that is the moment where you, the visitors come and can actually go down in the caverns and see the experiments, the LHC. I have a media badge. Does that get me into to see the actual collision? No? I, I don't think so. <laughs> 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 oh well. Well, so so the last question that I ask everybody here, since we're at KubeCon, is what are you interested in seeing here? Like, what have you? I know you've been here for only a little bit right now, but have you seen anything? Is there stuff that you're interested in seeing? That's that you're. Yes, mostly I'm interested in KubeFlow talks because yeah. this is something that can um, can benefit us, and we want to see how other people are using it and deploying it, and what uh, kind of problems they're solving, and how do they manage their instances and what are the challenges they have so for me that that's the major um, th that's the major interest that's what I'm, I'm interested about, about. Uh, and um, yeah maybe interesting machine learning uh, applications that don't necessarily run on uh, kubeflow but on other platforms so that we can see what we can integrate into our, our platform and how we, we can make things better for our users um, so that kind of things that's really cool so um so what uh where can people reach you if, if they right. want to like see what you're doing are, are you online or you, do you have somewhere that somebody can you know are you on twitter or, or well, anything like that actually linkedin is the the LinkedIn? best way as you did so <laughs> yes i think that that's the best way to to do it awesome well thank you so much for coming this has been amazing i mean i, I i'm so amazed at, at what you do there and so amazed at what everybody does there it's just you know for, for me this is one of my most exciting talks Thank you very much, Michael. <laughs> it's been amazing to, to be here. Well, thanks again. All right.